Hey everyone, thanks for listening to The Imperfect Game. Before we get to the podcast with Both today, talking about Southampton Saints and their hero and villain, just want to make a quick request, if you're listening on iTunes, to rate, review, and subscribe so this podcast gets delivered to your phone or your whatever device you listen to podcasts on right away. If you're a Spotify listener, just click the little follow button um, in the top part of the screen. That would be really helpful and we'd really appreciate it. Also, um, give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Boston Homer. Post a bunch of stuff about soccer and, and other things as well. And also, finally, if you're looking for videos or links or clips that go with this podcast, um, if you go to stayhomehusband.com, there is a imperfect game button at the top and has all the podcasts, all the descriptions, and also videos and links from our research. So without any further ado, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. And we hope you enjoy the podcast and we hope you come back again. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Imperfect Game Podcast. I'm Sean Melia. Today I am talking about Southampton Saints with Both. Both. How's it going out there? It's good. It's good, man. It's real good. Um, I don't think I told you this either offline or online, but my, my hair is blonde. I, I dyed my hair blonde. So I, I look like a Jabril Cisse. <laughs> I, like, like, like a more mocha chip color version of a Jabril Cisse. Did you, did you, um, I, last time we were on, you threatened a mohawk. Yeah. So I, I wanted to set up the foundations for a blonde mohawk. Um, so now I've got the blonde hair and it's not like blonde tips. It's not like the, that Beckham era, you know, back in United and Real Madrid, it's like full on blonde. Um, and I think a little bit, I'll wait a little bit, I'll rock this look and then I'm going to go for a blonde mohawk and then I'm going to buzz it all off. So buzz it all yeah. off before, before your new job starts. Yeah, when your job starts. Oh man, if, if they listen to this right now, <laughs> before before you enter the world of administration, you're gonna <laughs> right, right, yeah. Before I step on and, and like wear like a like actual normal clothes again. I mean, I've, I've been living in like soccer shorts and and soccer track tops in the, for the past two months. Um and yeah, so you're anyway, not the only one. <laughs> before all that starts up and real life begins and resumes, I'll, I'll um. I'll, I'll give it a, a a buzz over. One last moment of rebellion. Yeah, exactly. Before stick you become, before be, you become the man that other people exactly. want to stick before it become, to. <laughs> exactly. Before I become a boss and an employer, and <laughs> gotta make adult decisions. Um, all right, so we we've got Southampton uh, this week. We are we're at the tail end of of this uh, second set of ten podcasts where we did uh, heroes and villains. So. We got to figure out what we're going to do next, but Southampton is this week's um, team of team of our focus. And you went ahead and looked up a villain, and I went ahead and found a hero. And uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about my my hero. You might have a sense of who it is already. I'm not sure, but um, why don't you tell us about your Southampton villain? I have no idea who you picked. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool uh, actually to to be tasked with trying to find a, a Southampton villain. I think um, our earlier podcast on Southampton, we, we talked about how uh, Liverpool has built so, you know, so successful um, of, of a side using Southampton players. And we talked about 
what the Southampton starting eleven would look like if, if they hadn't sold their their academy greats, such as like a Bale, uh, a Mane, Oxlade Chamberlain, or or a Van Dyke. So I wanted to go with Liverpool as, as a villain, um, but that angle one was already covered and kind of was a little bit boring. Um, and I dug around a little deeper, trying to figure out well, what was you know. Um, a kind of a, an appropriate villain. I, I, I found this um, fan poll uh, where they just posted to, to the fans, like, who, who do you hate the most? Like, what, you know, what team do you hate the most? And um, fans responded. Uh, so in coming in fifth, um, 32% of fans hate Tottenham Hotspurs, right? So they, so this, they just asked the fans, how do you feel about Tottenham Hotspur? And then 32, uh, the, 32% said, we hate them. They asked the fans about Reading, and they said 38% hate Reading. Uh, Brighton Hope Albion, 53% of the fans hate them. Uh, Bournemouth, 56% of the fans hate them. And then when they asked about this one team, 91% of the fans that when asked about this team said that they hated uh, Portsmouth. Oh, yeah, okay. That's, I was going to guess Plymouth was the other one oh. in my mind. But um, awesome. Yeah. So my villain was just all right. I mean, that's that's a resounding hatred, a level of hatred for for one team. So I my villain t- this week is is Portsmouth. Um, and Sean, I, it was was it Palace and Brighton Hove that we were talking about a few weeks ago, um, yeah. having a rivalry that we no one really understands and no one really kind of gets. Yep. Um, this from like surface level, this from kind of uh, you know either bird's eye or American Westerner viewpoint um doesn't really make sense either unless you reside in or like have gone to the games um you don't really understand why this is such a great rivalry i mean they're comparing it with you know rivalries um in scotland between celtic and ranger uh rivalries back up in manchester and liverpool and all the different kind of insular rivalries uh in in london um but it makes no sense. I mean, you know, it's it normally understands where it came from. Um, and it's said that the rivalry predates soccer or football um, by 100 years, maybe more. Um, going back to docks and ships, um, both cities, Portsmouth and, Tuff- and Southampton, have a huge history with, with ships and, 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 and ports. Um, Portsmouth was uh, this kind of breeding ground for, for the Navy while Southampton dealt with kind of shipping and goods and merchants. Um, and that, you know, as that played out over the years, it, it, it started to kind of develop this character or this identity and image of a citizen from either city. Um, Portsmouth became more, in their eyes, more working class, while Southampton's kind of seen as more as posh. Um, in my research, I found that there are huge parts of Southampton that are not so posh and and like any place there's good and bad parts to a city um it, it it's still seen as this more kind of upper class white collar uh society that portsmouth love love to hate um and again th- there's no real like fixed point or or moment in time that ignited this rivalry um no one really knows where it came from um but most people say that it's because of this identity, because of this kind of divide in um, economic fortunes or social fortunes. Um, maybe some stuff in the 70s that I'll, I'll get to uh, later. Um, 
can provide some background on why they hate each other, but really, uh, no one really knows. Um, along kind of like these Crystal Palace and Brighton Hove uh, rivalry, these two teams, Portsmouth and Southampton, did, haven't met that often compared to other rivalries out there in the world. So, you know, while people are comparing this rivalry to the the more famous ones, I mean, Portsmouth and Southampton have met only 140 times. And Portsmouth have won 62. Southampton have have Southampton have has won 57 and they've drawn 21. Um, 140 times is not that much over the years compared to other classic um, battles such as Barcelona Madrid having met a total of 273. Rangers and, Celt- Rangers and Celtic have met 420 times. Uh, and down in Argentina, Boca, Boca Juniors and River Plate have met 250 times. So other more famous rivalries have met almost double, sometimes even triple, the amount of times that these two teams have met. Um, and you're wondering, where does this hate come from? If, if you know, if uh, frequency of, of um, just kind of seeing each other is is the, the, the breeding ground for, for uh, a rivalry, I, I don't see much substance here in 140 meetings. Um, I mean, thinking about it, you know, you you can meet that, that amount of times in, in, in 20 years. Um, but they just haven't played that much. Um, and here's a little bit of, uh, what are said, um, by the fans about this kind of lack of, of seeing each other. One second here, audio bit here. And again, it's really cool to have, um, such a recent and fresh rivalry because you have all this audio support. All right, here we go. Less meetings than any other major derby in British football. Yeah, we always seem to miss each other for some reason. In fact, the contradicting roller coaster of these two teams' position and fortune in the Football League is one of the greatest stories in football, where for over a century now, whenever one side is enjoying their greatest highs, the other is suffering their worst lows. They go down and we come up, or we go down and they come up. They just meet in between as they're going up and down. It's just well reverse, isn't it? So, I mean, you look at the kind of derbies that... So, um, yeah, they, it, 140 times and it's kind of like just ships passing in the night or, or trains you know, passing in the night. They, they just don't see each other that often um, just because Southampton have been in the prem or, or upper um, higher divisions and Portsmouth have been kind of in like League Two, uh, Division Three uh, for the majority of their time. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's it's similar, similar to, the to the Blackburn Burnley one we talked about last week. Right, they just don't they don't have uh, any natural or you know um, kind of guaranteed uh, days of oh yeah we'll see you we'll see you in September and we'll see you again in, in April like like a Barcelona Madrid or like a Liverpool United um, anything like that, but but yeah so going back to a little bit to the identity um, and and kind of how you get roped into this cult you're either blue of Portsmouth or you're the red of Southampton um a quote from a from a fan um you don't have any choice I liken it to the mafia it takes a while to get in but once you're in you can't get out it's a working class town and football's a working class game look at Southampton and it's and it's we're going to close uh Portsmouth have is built on a naval base and we're off to sail the world in a five-ton warship Southampton's about yachting so 
again, it's it's, uh, it's this um, us versus them. We're we're poor. We're victims. We're working class, and it's these um, you know snobby um, entitled people that that think they they can represent football and soccer. Um, and Portsmouth have have bought into this identity and bought into this kind of uh, um, origin or violence, uh, yeah, origin of violence, and and just really embraced it. Um, here's a quote, and it shows kind of who you're dealing with when it when it comes to um, Portsmouth fans, and it, it's so appropriate that these guys are, are the villains because I mean, just hold on, one check check this out here. Uh, there's this, this guy here. I'll, I'm playing an audio clip from a video on YouTube. Uh, this guy looks, John, he looks like he's 70 years old and the camera crew is zooming in on his knuckles. Um, and his, he's punched so many people in his day that his knuckles are pushed back in his hand. So you and I, if, you, if we made a fist now, our knuckles are where they, where they should be, right? Yeah. On camera, and I can show you the video later, on camera, his knuckles are pushed back to more towards his wrist area. Oh, man. Oh, man. So here we go. I'll, I'll play the clip right now. That's a knuckle. Yeah. That's a knuckle. And deprivation before you start. So uh, old guy showing a, a young reporter uh, where his knuckles are now. Um, and same old guy is going to be quoted here in this audio clip on um, – just what he thinks about violence and what he thinks about uh, the the nature of being a fan for Portsmouth. We understand why, why they're coming from where they're coming from. I think violence is a good character building. Everything you've been told to be. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, said, I got, he said violence is a good character builder? Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so he, he's a character in itself, and, and he's going to be quoted again here. I, I he, this guy is gold. I, I almost just wanted to play his audio bits the entire time and just say, yeah, this this guy is the villain. This, <laughs> this old guy represents all that is Portsmouth. Uh, here we go. He's nonetheless to, to brave people that died at war, but indeed made their hero status during violence. But it's always been in, in the history of Portsmouth. Boxing. The Navy as well. There's always not boxing in the Navy. You've got to be tough in this city, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. Why? Why is that? Because, you know, it's a city where... Because this island, for so many years, had experienced war and violence, genetics in the ports of people still harbored this sort of violent tendency. So basically, if you couldn't fight, you wouldn't get a tattoo. Yeah. And why is that? Because it caused trouble. Um, and it was just different clips, different people of, of, uh, of Portsmouth just... I mean, these guys are gritty. These guys uh, are, you know, holding boxing uh, training in in basements, and you got kids, eight year old kids, um, being bloodied up by by their peers just in in just training. Um, and so they they're still continuing that that uh, spirit of of a of a maritime of, of a naval naval base. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, just go, going on forward, this this violence, this kind of um, DNA of, of violence being woven into uh, your 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 genes um, has developed or or birthed this next wave of of uh, hooliganism. So we all know. I mean, I, I I remember you know seeing Green Street hooligans in high school and and how um, 
these supporters or, or most radical supporters turn into into firms that they call it uh, essentially just hooligan gangs um, that take on some kind of moniker some some kind of nickname that attributes it to the history of the club so Green Street Hooligans was uh, is West Ham's um, firm and Green Street is, is where West Ham used to play yeah, um, and these things still exist yeah they, yeah they are much alive I mean you go any of these uh you know, rivalries are all over the world. They they still have them. I mean, uh, Madrid's ultras, Barcelona's Barcelona's uh, ultras, Boca and River played. I mean, anywhere you go, it's 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 still alive. It's not as prominent as it was back in the seventies and eighties, but it, it definitely is um, is something you know uh, alive and well. Um, so Portsmouth, uh, I guess, if you wanted to to give their fan base. Um, a, a more kind of boxed in or categorized uh, identity, you can look at and call them the 657 crew. Um, and 657 is a an ode to the train that you have to take in order to, to go from Portsmouth to Southampton. Um, and here's the clip of a fan showing it there. I mean, this... Is just it's, it's it's English football to a T. You see, whereas the football violence problem in England is more associated with the late 70s and late 80s, here in Portsmouth, their fan base had a far tougher element from the 60s. Yeah, I think it all started back in um, sort of 69. But it was the late 80s where the Portsmouth fan base really got their reputation using their typical Pompey bravado and a British Rail timetable. Wasn't tough as anyone. We, we was game as anyone. We would go to the old den at Millwall on, on a boxing day. 300 lads turn up, and no one would do that at Millwall. We used to say the only reason you don't go to an away game is if you're Nick. If you're from this city, you, you are a bit fearless. You think you're invincible. So when you went to away games... Newcastle away. Um, and here is where they came from. And a hell of a lot. And a hell of a reputation. Yeah. The group behind much of the violence called itself the 657 Crew. The name itself. How did that come about? To get to away games, especially up north, you've got to get a train to London, then get your connecting train. So the first train out of Portsmouth used to be the 657 in the morning. You got up at half five for the footy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even in the winter? Even at the best time of the year. They wouldn't go to bed. They would not go home. They would finish their night out at two in the morning and go, right, let's get down to the station, ready for the train in the morning. Um, that reminds me of um, the opening chapter of of my season with Verona. Yeah. Where he gets on a midnight bus that shows up at 1.30 in the morning and he r- arrives back home 5.30 the next morning after... 16 or 17 hours on a bus to watch a two-hour soccer match. Yeah, and... Um, on, it's amazing. These guys would fit right into season with, with Verona because here's probably the best story of... I mean, this is terrible because it, it, it implies violence and implies uh, a lot of a lot of conflict between you know between supporters. And I love soccer because it's, it's such a beautiful game and there are ugly, ugly sides to, to it um, that are unfortunate. But this is just, I mean... This is this is just shows the to the extremes at which these fans will will, will go just to support their 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 clubs and, and show their pride. Um, Portsmouth fans have they made their own wedding invitations to be kind of a ploy to avoid police um, a, a, like police investigation. 
as they're traveling fans. Making fake wedding invitations and just sneaking behind the police like that is just genius. The gang had hoped to escape police notice by pretending to be a wedding party in hired morning suits and top hats. The police held all the pompey back and then they said, where are you not going? We said, oh, we're going to a wedding. And we'd had wedding invites printed up. In fact, you... <laughs> uh, <laughs> how much do you have to hate to... I mean, trying to imagine going to Staples and printing out fake wedding invites just to get on a train or, or go go watch, you know, get on a bus to go watch your 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 team play against the most hated rivals. Yeah, it would, it would be like a Red Sox fan having a wedding invitation because he's in the Bronx right? and is afraid of getting arrested by the police for wanting to go to Yankee Stadium. I mean, that's a, that's that is that's incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the, the hatred, it, it's just not it's not only um, on the field. It's not only kind of what's going on uh, in soccer. It, it extends and, and just bleeds out into just everything and, and their, their way of life. Um, you know, I mean, you got fans saying that they wouldn't even visit the other city, right? I mean, as, as much as I might hate, I'm trying to think. I, I um, as, a, as a Celtics fan, uh, I would love to go to LA. Like, I, yeah. I think LA is great. I don't hate the city. You know, I, I might hate the team. I might hate some of the players, but I, I, there's a whole city that I love to just hang out in. Um, these guys just don't even go anywhere near it. Um, just because, yeah, they, they they just despise everything that has to do with Portsmouth um, and Portsmouth, uh, vice versa. They hate everything that has to do with, with Southampton. They don't even wear the colors. They don't even do anything that resembles Southampton or Portsmouth, for that matter. Um, you know, fans are, are quoted saying uh, they are cheerfully boycotting anything Southampton based. So that fan has said, I wouldn't dream of buying screwdrivers from Draper Tools Sanderson Paints or anything from their sponsors. So it, <laughs> just just because you are associated with Southampton just means that you're not you're not going to be anywhere near where you know where we live, how we live our life. There's a there's a crazy tradition in Ohio that typically only happens during the week before Ohio State and Michigan play football in November, where stores and like public signs will all have the M like crossed out. Uh, Mm -hmm. because that is like the Michigan. So if you drive through Columbus or different parts of Ohio before the week of of that game, which is usually the Saturday after Thanksgiving, huge signs, like if there was a market, the M in market would be X'd out because they, it's (laughs) just just these like little things that these places do just to show their their hatred of another another place. (laughs) Yeah, it's petty in some cases. Yeah. Um, like it's a screwdriver, <laughs> you know. Like no one's gonna know that this is a this is a Southampton screwdriver, um, or you know, or even sponsored. Um, but yeah, so doing some more digging around, doing some more kind of researching, uh, I found that these two teams, Southampton and Portsmouth, have nicknames for each other. Um, Southampton are known by um, Portsmouth fans as as scum, uh, S C U M. And SCUM refers to uh, an acronym that, I guess, um, is has, has to do with um, a strike that that went on in in, uh, in, in the seventies and eighties. Um, here we go. So, 
while details may be sketchy, the most popular version centers on a dock strike between the two cities by workers from the same firm. As the Portsmouth faction stuck to its guns, the Southampton uh, Company Union men swallowed their pride and went back to work. One acronym later, and their brothers in arms have become the scum. Um, basically, the scabbers um, are, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're just, um, they, they crossed the picket lines in the in 1930s uh, for, for the dockyard working uh, crew. And um, just that was just seen as kind of betraying or backstabbing um, and not sticking together uh, with, with workers that demanded better, better wages and, and better living conditions. Um, and Southampton fans call Portsmouth fans skates and a skate is a fish, uh, or it's slang for a sailor. Um, and those two meanings and definitions are connected because the legend, uh, says that Portsmouth sailors back in the day would, um, oh man, how do I say this? <laughs> they would satisfy their sexual needs with fish. <laughs> uh, I, I, Sean, I'm I'm so sorry. It, it seems like every time I land on the villain, I'm talking about se- sex. It, it's so. all right. I've had I had my Dennis Wise uh, okay. impaled teddy bear. Right. Yeah, we, we've all had our moments. This is this is but the I'm, stuff. Like, this is the stuff people are here for, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so here's here's an audio clip that I found that that addresses this uh, this this kind of lewd nickname. I mean, I'm more than happy with that name. Yeah, scum, scum and proud. Why they call us the scummers? We call them the skates. What, what's a skate? It's a type of fish. It's a type of fish. It, no, it is a fish. A skate is a fish. Yes. And what's Pompey got to do with him? I, I just... it's a fisherman. Yeah. No women. Old fishermen. They used to when I was here. Hello, fish. The fisherman. What? That's why they're skates. Uh, fish fondlers. Yeah, they play with the fish. They used to have sex with them. It's all about the fish. It's all about the fish. Skates. You call them skates. No, I don't. I call them cunts. Oh, man. It's amazing. Those are all Southampton fans. Yeah. So yeah. another name I've heard. Is, is uh, they're using the term Pompey? Yeah, Pompey. Is that Pompey. just is that just like the the short phrase for Portsmouth? Yeah, so Pompey is just more kind of endearing. Uh, it, it's what Portsmouth call themselves. Yeah, um, you know we're Pompey or um, Pomponians. Uh, I've, I've come across that as well in, in my research. Yeah, but whenever uh, a Southampton fan talking is talking about Portsmouth fan. They're calling them skates, or uh, as this man said, the uh, the c word. Um, yeah, Pompey's more if you are a, a Portsmouth fan. Yeah, I didn't think it was an insult. It's just it's a term I've heard in the past, and I it wasn't quite sure where where it came from or where, who it belonged to. Right. Okay. Right. So Pompey is if you hear Pompey, that's that's just is re- that's just a reference to Portsmouth. Yeah, and gotcha. and. In this in this uh, hour long documentary or kind of special on on the rivalry, um, you can see a lot of fans have tattooed Pompey on their on their bodies, uh, Pompey and proud on Pompey. There are these things called the, the, the Pompey dots that are pretty much these like bootleg tattoos on the in the space between your index finger and your thumb, and it, it's like it's done by like a needle and ink. It's not done by like like a tattoo artist. 
uh, and Pompey fans do it when they're about 13 years old as a kind of like a what's it a, a rite of passage um, as you go into manhood as as a as a Portsmouth fan. Um, but yeah, um, at, you know, and and this is playing these audio clips or listening to these fans talk about each other. There's just so much hate, but no one really knows where it came from. Again, I I, I just couldn't figure out like a good a good reason why there's just so much hatred, which is kind of like, I guess the, the the trend that we found um, in these specials of Heroes and Villains. Um, here's a different uh, a different video clip that I found from BBC, and it's a inside out report of the rivalry between them, and it's a nine minute video, but at uh, about midway through, you can see um, a police officer, police woman, talk about kind of <laughs> the, the, these two fan groups. Fans coming out from the station. Out of sight of our camera, Mick spots known troublemakers and wants evidence recorded just in case. Guy with a blue jacket right in front, Henry Lloyd. Keep him on box. If he does anything else, we'll have him next, yeah? Simon, this lot here or ours? Just the other side. Grab hold and we'll put him in a box. Simon, stay there, please. Come here, fella. Come here, and you. Just stay there. I don't even remember why they hate each other, do they? I mean, is the, how does the tribalism work? I think one side's blue, one side's red, and the colours, you know, that they, they, I think, I think you'll find a lot of people don't know any of the history at all. Um, they, they just know that they're supposed to hate Southampton, and Southampton are supposed to hate Portsmouth, but they probably don't understand why. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's just because they hate each other. Um, it, so a fan is quoted here saying, "I was shocked uh, when I came down here, hearing about fans had, with such vitriol for each for, for each other that they claimed they wouldn't even visit each other's cities. Um, it's astonishing comparing to places like Nottingham or Mer- Merseyside, where fans support both teams. You'd be hard pressed to find that here, depending on which side of the river you you fall on, either Saints or Pompey." Um, and another fan was was saying it was only when we went down to the second division in 74 that it started and even then it seemed like to be more of a one-way thing a kind of siege mentality after years of that saints fans started to hate pompey back so uh southampton sent um portsmouth down to lower divisions and, and relegated them in in 74 um and it's kind of been this this bit of jealousy and and kind of bragging rights you know one, one hand and the other um but other than that, you know, it's nothing really. Again, 140 meetings between the two teams over the years since then, or sorry, or over time, is just not enough for a rivalry. Um, in general, Saints fans don't hate Pompey as much as Pompey hates Saints. Uh, but no one really knows. Um, when comparing the success between the two teams, um, Portsmouth have won more trophies, but they've won them at lower lower divisions. Um Whereas the Saints or Southampton have been in the prem and, and, high, and higher divisions for for so much longer, they haven't won anything. So it's kind of like, what do you what do you value more, um, or what do you kind of place more importance on? Um, you know, a, a Southampton fan is saying, you get the feeling Pompey consider themselves to be a club with the history. We won the title. You haven't. You're nothing. But we would say, fair enough. We've been above you for forty years, and you're showing us no respect. So there's kind of just this. Uh, inferiority complex between the two teams um and both clubs are trying to say we're the bigger club 
Um, and yeah, uh, one last clip that I'll play is, is kind of a funny story or a crazy legend that um, construction workers were hired to build an academy uh, ground for uh, Southampton. And it turned it turned out that the workers uh, happened to be from Portsmouth. So um, a Portsmouth construction worker put a Portsmouth shirt in the like in between the walls and, and the concrete of Southampton uh, Academy buildings. Um, and this is the last one here that I'll end with my my villain. Here we go. Story might just be a legend. What we definitely know is true is what the Pompey fans contributed to the Saints training ground and academy. Thoughts of buildings put in. What have we gone and planted inside the wall? Pompey shirts inside the academy walls when they were concreting it. Nice little surprise for the scum if they ever decide to take the wall down. Yeah, and that guy. <laughs> so I mean, that that's just awesome. Um, it's. Uh, you know, amidst all the violence that we've talked about and, and kind of I, I've seen all the all the unfortunate events, I, I think that's probably the most wholesome um, way to kind of stick it to your rival, um, and uh, and you know not harm anybody, um, but but still but still kind of one up your 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 hated brother. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There's another. We've talked about jersey burials, right? On here before. I feel like Leicester City. Maybe under Walkers, uh, when they opened that stadium, did not win any games, and then they discovered that there was something underneath the stadium, and they dug it out. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that's funny. That's <laughs> it is a it's a great uh, underhanded way because at some point those walls are going to come down. <laughs> right. Um, that's that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, I, I can get into the, I can get into the different games that, that, um, you know, that took place between these two teams. And, and there are all these moments that I guess are made even more dramatic because of the hatred, but really it's just this rivalry that was born from nothing and really just, uh, born from different or presumed different, um, social classes, uh, that have caused this divide or, or schism between, between the two people. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just it's like geography and culture drive so many of these rivalries that exist outside of one city, right? Like Liverpool and Anfield, very easy to explain why those two clubs hate each other. Sure. City and United, Manchester City, Manchester United, easy. A lot of the London um rivalries are relatively easy. Even West Ham, like the interesting when you're talking about the the strike there was a West Ham and Millwall, I think, have a have a pretty deep rivalry for the same reason that there was some sort of union strike among the shipbuilders and the West Ham uh, group either, you know, jumped the picket picket line or uh, or Millwall did. But it's just a lot of it is not about the soccer. No, it's not. It's amazing. Um and, and and the soccer, like you know, I I, I left it out a little bit just because it, uh, it really wasn't it really wasn't because of what happened on the field. It, it was the, it was all the backstory behind it, and all the history behind it that that made that clash or made that game even more um, tumultuous, so to speak. Yeah, and it's it's and I, I was looking at the Burnley. Blackburn, how many times they've played each other? So they've played each other 115 times in their history. 
which is just around the same amount of times as as Portsmouth and Southampton. And I think that's the other part of some of these rivalries. If you're like on level footing, if you're in the same division, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not harder to dislike the team, but when one team is having success while the other one is really struggling, the one that's struggling is going to try to find some way to get an upper hand. And that is typically just attacking the city as a whole versus the team. (laughs) I mean, I'm a Red Sox fan. There was not a lot of trash talking that a Red Sox fan could do before 2004 to a Yankee fan. The only thing we could really do was talk crap about the city. Right. You know, and so it becomes a hatred of the city instead of a hatred of the team. Uh, and the team is just a kind of this representation of the city as a whole in whatever way you want to want to have it. Um, and when a team when teams are going up and down and they're constantly in this yo-yo where one team is down and one team is up, that that hatred uh, I think just builds and it doesn't, they don't, it doesn't really matter what goes on in the field. It's just no. an opportunity for two hours for you to, to really focus your energy on, on that one place that you hate so much. Right. It, it, it becomes more of a vessel for your hatred than an actual um, breeding ground for, for, for the rivalry. Yeah. You just channel all your, all your pent up energy and then just, I mean, your, your beliefs of, of other people, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, my villain to wrap it all up on my side, my villain is Portsmouth fans, also known as skates. Um, and if you want to kind of make a sub villain of that, it'd be the six, five, seven crew who, who, uh, so famously have, um, created wedding invites in, uh, just to, just to beat up saints fans. Yep. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Good stuff. Uh, all right, so my I'm gonna I got a hero, and it kind of has to do a little bit about what you were talking about with Southampton in our past and present podcast, where Southampton is so well known for selling players off, um, finding them, and then not having the ability to actually keep them around. And so I felt like I had to pick a player who did stick around and stuck around for a very long time. So I chose Matt Letissier as my hero yes, of Southampton. Nice. Um, he was a lot of fun to look up. Uh, as usual, I went to Reddit to just seek out some advice from some Saints fans. Harry Redknapp came up as a villain a lot. I don't know if he came up in your research box. He did. He, did. he, uh, he came up as somebody who um, kind of jumped ship and and left and left um, Portsmouth when when they needed him most. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to put him in there just just because of, of the point uh, that, that he would have gotten on our podcast. But um, I, I couldn't pass up the the story of of, uh, of the skate origin. Um, so I, I went with Pompey fans. Oh yeah, it, it was it was the right choice. But I I didn't even realize his it just he his name came up his name came up a lot um as far as other possible heroes and people that southampton fans revere uh ricky lambert uh mick channon who i believe is the leading goal scorer in the history of the club terry payne um alan ball alan shearer came up um marcus lieber who was a owner mm-hmm. and kind of saved the club when it was really heading down the tubes and uh, those were kind of the heroes that that most people brought up. And Kelvin Davis is another one. But Matthew Letissier earned the nickname Le God, 
um, <laughs> in his time. And him and Ricky Lambert actually have a pretty good, I think it's, they have four episodes of a podcast that, that I found on YouTube called La Pod. Um, and Lambert and Letitia are interviewed. There's a host who kind of just talks to them about their time at Southampton. They're really good. I listened to them all um, just kind of on in the background this week. And then if something caught my interest, I would I would mark it. And I've got a couple little clips from it. But to start, just to give you a taste of Letitia, I found a really great article written by a guy named Andrew Flint, uh, who's an Irish. I think he's Irish because he was talking about growing up in, in uh, near where Roy Keane grew up. Uh, and it's in the Football Times, which is an English uh, website. Uh, so he wrote, Letitia always garnered support despite his perceived lack of adherence to strict fitness regime because he was more than just an entertainer. He rarely put on excessive exhibitions of extravagance to taunt the op- opposition, but he had a supreme relaxed confidence, confidence that successfully navigated the line between arrogance and belief. Any park footballer could relate to his style, if not replicate it, and although the stereotypical English footballer traded in blood, sweat, and tears, his approach to the game gave fans a release as he artistically dragged their side out of more than one relegation dogfight, never fading in, vi- in vital games, at least not out of frailty of character. So that kind of just is really Letitia in a nutshell. He was graceful. He was a, a, a attacking midfielder at a time when um, you know, 90s pitches were a mess and uh, his he scored some great goals, but he also had a work rate that was not um, was not looked upon as as being the highest <laughs> um, in the history of football. And it actually many people claim that it, it harmed him in the long run over the course of his career, uh, particularly as it pertains to his time with the English national team, which I will talk a little bit about. So Letitia was born in 1968. He was not born in England. He was born on the island of Guernsey, which is a British crown dependency. And Both, do you have any idea where Guernsey is? No, it sounds like it had to be somewhere south. Yeah. So uh, it, the lake. But yeah, that's it. That's all I got for you. It is, it is um, an, a channel island. It is right between, not even right between, it's actually off the coast of France. Okay. Um, so I did, it's about, it's about 60 kilometers off the nearest shoreline of France. Uh, so it's like you could hop on a ferry and be in France in two hours. Um, you could hop on an airplane and be in London in two hours. Uh, but it's a British rule, a British crown dependency. And in, with a quick bit of research that pretty much just meant, um, it's a self-governing possession of the crown. Um, there are only three of these in the world. Guernsey is one. Jersey is another, which is, uh, where the, Jersey cow uh, hails from and the Isle of Man, which is up between England and Northern um, and Northern Ireland and that kind of section of, of the world. So these are the, there's these three little islands that that uh, the United Kingdom is in charge of, but they kind of rule themselves a little bit. Um, they it in reading about it, it felt like it's pretty much like a little colony that if England wants to say and tell them to do something, they have to. Um, but ultimately, they're kind of left to their own devices and that's where he grew up. It's a tiny little island. It's only 62 kilometers, uh, 62 square kilometers, which is about 23 square miles in size. It's got a population of 62,000. Um, and he was, he has, I read he has two older brothers who are also good footballers who could have played 
in England and decided not to, um, particularly one, I think his name was Mark, um, was good enough and just leaving Guernsey was too hard um, and he decided to stay home. And that actually, that attitude shines through a little bit in Letitia as well. And just his, maybe it's a loyalty, maybe it's a, a lack of willingness to kind of go and challenge himself. But just the fact that he stayed in, in Southampton for as long as he did was not because no one wanted him to play anywhere else. Um, he was he was sought after. So Letizia played in Guernsey until he was 17 years old. Uh, he played, Guernsey has its own uh, national team. So he played with the like U15 Guernsey team. Um, just played for like a Guernsey, just pretty much just played on Guernsey. And Southampton went down to watch him play. And he talks about how he was discovered, which I'm going to play a little clip here. Um, I thought it was just interesting based on how players think they need to be found uh, and how players believe that, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with guys who just think this is my position and this is where I need to play. Um, And this is how Letizia was discovered by Southampton. Playing for Southampton. Um, uh, Sorry, playing for Guernsey under-15s by Southampton. I was actually playing out of position. So I'd spent my entire growing up in my school team and my club team sent to midfield. So I played centre midfield the whole time. This one game we played out of Millbrook, uh, and our coach came to me and said, "Oh, he said, I want to have a look at two other guys in the centre midfield to see who's going to play alongside you. Can you go and play on the right wing for this game?" And I went, "Yeah, no problem." So I played on the right wing. There was a Southampton scout there. I, I had a good game, and they invited me over. And so when I got when I came over, they just put me on the right wing. I'm like 14, I think I was at the time, nearly 15. I didn't have the heart to go. Actually, I'm, I'm not a right winger. <laughs> so there's his uh, explanation of how he ended up in Southampton. They liked him as a right winger and not as a center midfielder. I don't know, necessarily know if he would have survived as a center midfielder in um, late 80s and 90s Premier League and First Division football. But as a right winger, he, uh, he, was, he was pretty fabulous. So his teenage years, uh, he signed with Southampton when he was 17. Um, he signed a, a YTS contract, which is pretty much like on-the-job training, um, maybe like an apprenticeship-type program, not as a pro yet. And then in 1986, the year later, he was uh, he was signed as a pro. And he kind of joined the first team really quickly. He played uh, as an 18-year-old. He scored six goals in 24 games. Um, and then in the 87-88 season, he made 19 league appearances, and he didn't score and then in 88-89, so kind of his 20, he was in his 20, 21 years old, he, uh, he scored nine goals in 28 games and kind of just took off from there. Um, he was named the 1990 uh, PFA Young Player of the Year after he scored 20 goals um, and helped the Saints finish in seventh place in the first division, which at that time was pre-Premier League, so that was the highest highest uh, league in England. So they were the seventh best team in the country. Um, and, you know, Letizia just scored goals and played attacking midfield and did his job. He was uh, beckoned away from Southampton many, many times. And he always said, he said, no, he said, no, thanks. Um, to the point where in 1995, Chelsea made a 10 million pound bid for Letizia, uh, and Blackburn made a similar bid. And both times he he didn't want to leave. Um, he 
was comfortable in Southampton. People think that he was lazy, uh, kind of unmotivated, just happy to be in one place. It was also close to his home in Guernsey, just as far as getting out of out of England and back home. Uh, and so people thought if you, you know, going up to Blackburn or even as a little bit farther north to London um, was just was not something he was terribly interested in. So he ended up staying in in Southampton for his whole career, which is really why he got the the name Lagarde. I think uh, he was loyal and he was young and he was kind of their guy as a 17 year old to, to show up and, and then continue to to play for Southampton. So. He was quoted as saying, I had opportunities to play for so-called bigger clubs throughout my career, Tottenham in 1990, Liverpool in 1992, and Chelsea in 1995, but there are no regrets. If I had my time again, I would have chosen to stay where I was. I was happy where I was at Southampton. Um, so he just he just never had any sort of conviction or drive to want to go, want to leave, which I think can't really begrudge him that. Uh, watching the interviews with him, he is very much a laid back, easygoing, um, you know, devil may care kind of attitude just does. And it's 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 also how he played. I don't know how much how many highlights you've seen of him, Both in your in your view, soccer viewing YouTube uh, deep dives. My middle school existence was watching all his goals. Yeah, he was he scored. So people claimed he was often called a scorer of great goals. Um, which was a little bit of a slap in the face because you uh, would typically call someone like him a great goal scorer. Um, so they kind of they t- took away a little bit from what he thought he was he could do uh, by saying he was just a scorer of great goals. He did they almost like they just found him versus uh, him kind of making them himself. So like his career in the '90s was just constant relegation battles just consistently in the bottom half of the league and in one of the interviews with Ricky Lambert in this podcast Lapod he said something really interesting that we've talked about this a little bit with the FA Cup versus winning the league and which one you know means more uh and and we've kind of lamented the fact that it feels like the FA Cup has lost a little bit of the 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 shine that it used to have. Right. And so they were talking about it with Letizia and he said he would have rather won an FA cup than a first division or, or top flight trophy. And he, he said something about it that I'd never really thought of. And it hit home and made me realize why the FA cup was maybe more important to players back in the day. He said, just lifting the cup at Wembley. That's it. Walking up those stairs at Wembley and winning a trophy in Wembley um, to him was kind of the ultimate English soccer experience. Not winning a league where, you, you know, you don't know where you're going to win it. Um, but that kind of that pomp and circumstance out around winning the game, walking up the steps, getting your medal, get, lifting the trophy in Wembley for him was the hot, like the highest of highs um, as far as playing English football which I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good way to put it. Yeah. Like Wembley, of all, of all places to win it. I can only think of maybe Old Trafford or Anfield as, you know, something that's like so iconic for, for English football. Yeah, and, and, you know, you could argue, well, if, what if you win the league in front of your home fans like Aguero did 
back in whatever that year year that was, um, a last second goal or whatever. But he, you know, he's just Wembley. Give me, I want to raise the trophy at Wembley. And even in um, Sunderland Till I Die, there's that entire episode where they play in, I don't even remember what the name of the cup was, the Checkers. <laughs> the Checker Trade Trophy. Checker Trade Trophy, which is at Wembley. But all those Sunderland fans travel down there just for the possibility of watching their team win a trophy in Wembley Stadium. Um, that place is magical. And I think it, it was just so. When he said that, I realized, well, I guess he thought he could always just try to win the FA Cup at Southampton. Right. Um, Because here is is the run of Premier League finishes that Southampton had from the beginning of the Premier League in 92-93 to 2001-2002 when Letizia left. In 93, they finished 18th out of 22 because there was a bigger league back then. So they missed relegation by two spots. 93-94, they also finished in 18th place of 22. 94-95, they finished in 10th place out of 22. And then from 95 on, there's only 20 teams. So 96, they finished in 17th place, which is one spot out of relegation. 96-97, they finished in 16th place. 97-98, 12th, then 17th, then 15th, then 10th, then 11th. So he was constantly battling uh, relegation. Uh, his his prowess as a goal scorer was never really in doubt. He's he scored 100 career goals. He was the first midfielder to have 100 Premier League goals. Um, that did not include the 51 that he also scored as a first division player before the Premier League even existed. Um, he also took 48 penalty kicks in his time at Southampton. Guess how many he converted on? Out of 48, yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> I don't know, 40, 40, 39? 47. Wow. He missed wow. one penalty kick. Uh, if if anyone thinks that England couldn't have used him on their team just for that one specific thing, <laughs> you're, uh, you're crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, the, you know, his, his, his style and his grace on the field was more what, he, what made him a great player, not winning trophies. Like you said in your little piece about Southampton and 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 Portsmouth, Southampton has won nothing. Um, on Wikipedia, they are listed as runners up in League One one time. They won an FA Cup in seventy five in the seventy six season. Um, they've won Division Three one time. That's that the two trophies they have won. They won the Football League trophy in two thousand nine two thousand ten. They won the FA Cup in seventy six. And they won the third division in 1960 and in 2011. So this is not a, you know, a celebrated club as far as winning trophies. And Letizia did not win any trophies, um, but he won the hearts of a lot of people just with the way he played and the amazing goals he scored. He scored the goal of the season in the 1995 uh, year, um, which I will post a link to the video he, he beats Tim Flowers, a good friend of his um, who played for Blackburn at the time, from like 30 yards out, right in the top corner. Ball's bouncing around because that's what it does in the 90s. <laughs> um, you know, uh, his talent was always respected and it survived the test of time. Uh, and just last week, literally last week, he was voted. Um, Eurosport had a vote 
for the best player in the history of the Premier League, and he was the winner. I'll let that settle in when you think about all the guys who play in the Premier League. He won a vote and beat out every other player in the Premier League history. So in the in the 28 years it's been around, um, there is a, a large group of people that think he's the best player to ever to ever play in the league. Um, I would say that's also because of his longevity. There's plenty of players who were probably better, but who left. Um, and so when he won, he, he said, he said, I didn't know my family was that big. Uh, and then he went on to talk about his experience as a nineties footballer. Footballers today don't even know what a bobble is with the poor pitches we had to play on. You had to concentrate so hard on your first touch. It was a different challenge. Rule changes have considerably helped strikers who are much more protected it is a much easy. It is much easier these days, and it seems people have remembered that. So that was kind of a nice little thing that he got recognized for um, just last week. Um, another little bit of history about Letizia. I, I talked about the worst player in Premier League history um, playing for Southampton, the guy who who was said to be George Weah's nephew, uh, and and uh, there was a, there was the, there was the fake George Weah phone call. And uh, here is here is Letizia talking about this because he's he's connected to this player uh, in kind of a in, a in a pretty funny in a pretty funny way. Once I get my sound up here. Uh, maybe I can't get the sound again, which is fine. I'll just edit it. So he came down on the Friday morning and uh, he trained with us and he played in the fiver side and uh, to be honest, it didn't look very good. And, um, and we thought, well, that's fair enough. People, you know, trialists come and go and uh, and I just thought this was going to be the same thing. This guy will never see him again. He wasn't particularly good. We turned up for the game the next day. We're playing against Leeds and um, he's on the subs bench. He's named on the bench. And that's a lot. Well, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Didn't look that good yesterday. Well, after about 20 minutes, um, I get a calf strain. And it's actually me that comes off so that Ali Dia can, uh, can go on. And it was unbelievable. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It was uh, very, very embarrassing to watch. And just after half-time, Graham Sooners actually had to take him off again because he was that bad. Uh, and um, I have no idea if he was George Ware's cousin or not. I don't, I have, I don't think he was. Very bizarre situation. He was just chuffed to have got... There you go. So the worst player in Premier League history was substituted in for the best player in Premier League history. Uh, pardon? No, that's a crazy story. That's yeah. So, so godlike. Uh, <laughs> maybe for a fake George Wayne's cousin. It's Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's they, there, was a, there was a longer clip that... that um, that was on with Ricky Lambert and they were talking about it and they were saying that uh, Ali Dia couldn't even head the ball. He was afraid of, he was afraid of the ball in the air. Like they had no idea what he was doing there and why he, uh, he even got a trial. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, there's um, a little bit of a connection there, which is, which is great. So Letizia was definitely seen as someone who was lazy, who didn't work very hard, um, had no interest in chasing back. 
Um, and in a, a blog post I found about him, they, they put it this way, which I thought was, which was great. Quote, here was a player who could barely last 90 minutes at the peak of his career. He cared not for pressing, tracking back, or any form of exertion whatsoever. And he was as slow and immobile as any player in the league. And um, Letizia admits to this, and I've got two two clips here. Uh, one about just his desire to want to do any sort of running, um, and and then one about his diet. Could run all day. So it was... Not on uh, of it. Not on this couch. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, I, I didn't. I didn't mind. I didn't mind hard work, and um, and people have, have always accused me of being lazy. But I would work all day if I had a football at my feet. And you could get me doing running all day as long as I'm dribbling past something, mm. and it and I wouldn't and I wouldn't get tired. And the minute you take the ball away. Something in my head, there's a switch in my head that goes, nah, this is boring. Yeah. I'm not having this. It is boring. And it, and, it, and it just doesn't, you don't get the same intensity in it. And that's why I was like Ricky, I was always always at the back. But I used to I used to say to a manager, in pre-season, because I used to hate the running. Uh, so I just used to say to the manager, play me in every pre-season game. Play me 90 minutes in every game. And that's how I get my fitness. Because if I'm on a football pitch, I'll go and, I'll go and chase the ball around and I'll I'll keep going as long as there's a ball there. I want to play. There you go. So let's just see. I just openly admitting, if he didn't have a ball at his feet, he had really no desire to uh, to chase to chase around. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of that about him, and he blames his diet. And so this is another clip of him talking about uh, a nutritionist who was hired by Southampton and. You know, his he was asked to to record what he ate for for two weeks, and this is this is his story about about that. And it, just before I play it, he had another. He, he was talking with Ricky Lambert about the players at Southampton used to get had a had like a card that they could show at McDonald's and get a free meal at McDonald's every day. That's disgusting. Yeah. So That's like late eighties, early nineties. If these guys who probably, you know, Letizia was in his, it was a teenager. Um, yeah. And, and Ricky Lambert, who I really liked listening to as well, uh, was just talking about his lack of professionalism, um, drinking too much. Uh, and he said at one point the trainer had him in front of the team and just made him pull his shirt up and kind of like just made fun of this, <laughs> made fun of the fat on his belly. And he said it kind of like just turned his entire career around and he realized he had to, he had to do something about it. But this is Letizia talking about a nutritionist who showed up at the club uh, to try to make everyone eat more healthy. It was about 1999, like right towards the back end of my career. Um, and, uh, and she came in and she got, she got me to do a food diary uh, I think I might have told this story before, oh, but she, she told me. This. But, so we've had she gave me a book, and for two weeks I had to write down everything that I ate and everything that I drank for two weeks. And, you and stuck I did, to it. and I stuck, and yeah. I wrote everything down that I did. That I'd eaten every biscuit I'd had, everything, and I put it in there. I didn't care. Do you know what I mean? I'm like coming towards the end of my career. I was like, I ain't going to lie for anyone, so I chucked it all in there. And then at the end of the two weeks, I give her the books, and the next day. She came up to the training ground. She called me in, <laughs> and she looked at me and she went, 
how are you a professional footballer? <laughs> <laughs> so, so he just he ate like a he ate, he ate poorly his entire career, and he didn't drink. He loves Malibu rum is the only is the only uh, his drink of choice. Maybe with a little bit of coke. Um, he also said that he had never eaten fruit. He could only really eat a bowl of strawberries. He hates any other fruit. And he didn't eat a vegetable consistently until he was 28 years old. Um, he said he would eat ch- uh, potato chips at nearly every meal growing up. Uh, he kind of blamed his parents for some of his bad diet diet choices um, as as a kid and how they bled into his um, his poor eating choices as he got older. And I think he was so talented, but this is what hurt his England, um, his just his kind of his attitude, and then his will, his lack of willingness to go to a big club really hurt his English um, international career. So he only earned eight caps with England, uh, which is amazing when you consider people thinking he's one of the best Premier League players ever uh, to only earn eight caps. He only started one match for them, and he played one, and he only also completed one full 90-minute match, which was the one he started. So he pretty much came on as a sub. Um, he was left off the 1996 Euro team completely by Venables, and then he was left off the 1998 World Cup team by Glenn Hoddle. Venables, we got to give Venables a check, right? He's one of our he's one of our trackers. So Glenn Hoddle left him off the 98 team. Um, Hoddle was a childhood hero of Letizia's, uh, but Letizia, I guess, was kind of outspoken about some of Hoddle's training methods, including a faith healer who Hoddle brought into training camp, and Letizia did not really have any time for that. Um, so they butted heads a little bit, and Hoddle was the manager when um, Letizia said no thanks to, I think to maybe it's to Tottenham or maybe that was Venables. But he just the fact that he turned down all these big clubs um, in general and was just was happy as a clam in Southampton. I think did not lend himself uh, any graces for his for managers and people in England and I also think the fact that he was not from England proper hurt him a little bit too I think there's that that's that's completely my own hypothesis but England does not have a lot of players at least back then who were not born in England or on England and so Guernsey I think was if Letizia was born in Southampton, maybe he would have had a different, different, uh, different history. He was also always compared with and cho- and uh, and kind of lost playing time to Paul Gascoigne, who was another kind of like lazy, hyper talented, um, typically overweight party guy. Um, but he, people loved him, and he was usually picked over Letizia. But then, if you think about like. There were a lot of good English players in those late 90s teams, but they all, the team was never very good. And I think Letizia would probably have helped them throughout that stretch of time. And he never really thought about playing for any other country. He could have played for France. And Jared Houllier, who was the manager of the, of, uh, the French team kind of in the mid-90s, desperately wanted Letizia to come and play for France. And what a sliding doors moment that would have been if you put him into that 98 French team that won the World Cup. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I went back and just looked quickly at that roster and there's a place for him on that team. 
uh, especially, you know, in midfield, there were there were some guys who he could have replaced, maybe a Boghossian, uh, who was who was good. Um, but they he could have played an attacking position for that club and or for that for that country and maybe won a World Cup. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. So the English the English part is is always kind of a bummer and a, a what if for a lot of people just wondering why he didn't get as much time. Uh, but I attribute it to those three things. I think it's the fact that he was from Guernsey, the fact that he didn't want to leave Southampton and show any sort of determination and um, and that he was just a little bit kind of under conditioned and and a little bit lazy, um, or at least the perception was that he was lazy. But I think he would have been he would have been a good member of those of those teams and given them something different. So finally, in 2002, Letizier is finished. He leaves Southampton with 443 league caps, 161 league goals. He also closed out the Dell with the final goal in the stadium's history, which is a half volley against Arsenal in the dying moments to steal a point, which is just classic Southampton. Yeah. How many, how many goals has Arsenal <laughs> they, scored on in this podcast? Yeah. Or been, they've come up a lot. They were, they were also the team that, uh, David Hurst was playing when he recorded the fastest shot in a game. Right. Um, they've, they've lost out to some teams in FA cups or beaten teams in FA cups. They, you know, they've got a deep history, Both You got to have some sort of pride, right? <laughs> uh, and then, so just in, in one last little bit of Letizia playing career, this guy was loyal enough that in 2013, which makes him a, which makes him 45, he tried to actually return and play for his hometown club of Guernsey. He played one game in 2013 for them. Um, he would have played more, but they couldn't schedule games and there was cancellations and scheduling issues. But that's how his career finished off. He left Southampton. He went and played one year for um, a Division Two club. And then he retired for good and came back uh, a long while later, played one game for Guernsey. And now he's a pundit. Um, think for sky sports and, and is on tv and he's actually he's very well spoken and and kind of a pleasure to listen to talk about his past he's very honest um so in closing i i, I opened with a quote i'm going to close with a quote and this is actually a quote from from javi the spanish and barcelona midfielder he said to the independent in 2016 this is an article that i found in on a dreamteamfc.com but this is uh, they were quoting an independent article from 2016. So Chavi said in Catalonia, there used to be a half hour program every Monday where they'd show the best goals from the Premier League. Every week, Matt Letizia would be on the show. I'm talking outrageous, sickening goals. We used to say this guy Letizia is outrageous and he never goes to a big team. He stays at Southampton. It's incredible. He could play for anyone. Our house was obsessed with him. So that's that's Chavi on Letizia, uh, and that's how I want to close out this uh, this little bit on on uh, on Lagarde. On Lagarde, what a great quote! Great quote, yeah. It's just an awesome, uh, just a picture like a child, a, a childhood Chavi in front of his TV watching Letizia just rocket balls in the top corners and dribble around people, and um, 
and he was he was quite he was quite a joy to watch and I'll I'll post some I'll post some videos of him scoring goals in the in the show notes so people can go watch him dribble through and slalom through people. Uh, he was he was exceptional. And as far as a grade, the guy never won anything. Um, but if if you consider keeping a team up in the Premier League for your entire career and scoring more than half your goals in certain seasons, um, I think in ninety one year he scored twenty five goals and the team had forty nine total in the league. Um, He's he get, he gets a he gets a nine and a half from me for for uh, for hero status. I mean, you, when your nickname is Lagod, you you can't really get anything less than a, at least a nine. So I'm going to give him a nine and a half. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I remember my middle school days, just like sitting down on early version of YouTube before all the ads, and just like yeah, his goals were amazing. We tried to like recreate them in, at recess. They were for sure uh, godlike. Um, Nine and a half is fair, man. I'd, I'd say so. Uh, I would say if I had to give my my oh man my skates uh, <laughs> ranking. Um, let's see. In terms of just like origin story, not that great. Um, it's just, I, I mean, I, it's not bad, but it's it's not like there's just kind of like villainous you know moment in time that that we all remember back as, as a start um i would say putting the the shirt in the stadium in the academy was pretty was pretty cool um the fact that it's so hostile an environment the fact that um you know jose Mourinho and ronaldinho have have come forward and said that it's the best ground in the world um yeah, I'd say an eight five. Yeah, I think that's fair. A lot of hatred. A lot of you found a lot of good clips. Yeah, an eight five. I, I think it, it'd be hard to, to give them a nine um, as a as a real rivalry because I, I didn't I didn't even know about it until I, I did research on it. You know, you hear about a Boca a Boca Juniors, you hear about um, River Plate, Celtic Rangers, Liverpool United. I mean, you hear about all these different rivalries and. This one here, it just I needed the help of the internet to, to really delve into it. So that's where I'll say um, an eight five. I could be talked down to an eight as well if it came to it. <laughs> no, I think I think uh, I think eight five is fair. A lot of good clips in there. A lot of hatred. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, only a villain would uh, would pick up a fish and uh, and, and do things to it. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, we will we'll finish up next week with uh, Sheffield United. Speaking mm-hmm. of bad diets, maybe maybe we'll each have a greasy chip buddy between uh, now and our next pod. I mean, cholesterol just might be the villain. Uh, <laughs> um, just overall, <laughs> yeah. It's like a cholesterol. Just have, have an, an hour special on on just the health benefits of eating vegetables and other other fruits. <laughs> Um, just a deep dive on fans of the blades and their and their uh their health issues right exactly potential health issues i mean their song really does that 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 song just that's all it talks about right you got greasy chip buddies you got um they talk about cigar cigarettes right booze yep yeah now i'm gonna have that song back in my head it's (laughs) been gone for a bit now it's i know i'm gonna be whistling it this afternoon walking around my apartment um, yeah, so I guess I am the villain 
and you are finding the hero for next week. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, enjoy everyone. Take care of take care of yourselves, and starting to feel like things are maybe getting slowly, slowly, slowly back to normal, or at least little things are popping up in our lives. Uh, so, including the good weather. So, I bought Both. I hope you have a good good week. Good luck with your uh, with your with your construction project you've got going that you told me about. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we will talk about the blades of Sheffield United next week. Cool. All right. Bye, Both. See ya.